Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode 14 of the Love Capades podcast. Last time, Bobby, the high school flame, made a kind of strange appearance. Then Michelle had a sublime time with an elegant German who lived in a castle. Finally, she shared a powerful portrait of her father. Now let's find out what she's up to next. So this chapter is called A Past Life Wonder. Throughout the years, a number of talented therapists have helped me keep things in perspective when I was veering off the rails. They also helped me understand why other people do what they do. One of my favorite shrinkettes was Linda, who used several interesting techniques to get at buried truths. We did a lot of past life regression work that uncovered some pretty fascinating revelations from my past. She used to make house calls, which was very smart because I always felt safe in my own environment. One sunny Friday afternoon, she helped me dive into that deep inner treasure trove of memories, and a most astonishing story emerged. Bobby and I had been married in my most recent past life. We were very young, and he was quite obsessed with me, as he has been in this lifetime. In that life, I became pregnant right away, but Bobby was not willing to share me with a child. So he sought the advice of a midwife who gave him a potion that was meant to abort the baby. But it boomeranged, and rather than killing the child, it killed me. (laughs) Death by husband. No wonder our karma in this lifetime has been so convoluted. As you know, Bobby appeared this time around when I was 13. His agenda, whether he knew it or not, was to make amends for his tragic act from earlier. Linda advised me, if I were to transcend this karmic scar, I had to forgive Bobby for what he had done, and I had to do it verbally rather than in a letter. A very tall order indeed. In an attempt to achieve this goal, I decided to call him and do my best to explain why I needed to forgive him. I'd learned that he and secretary wife had relocated to Chicago, so I tracked down their telephone, bolstered my courage, and dialed the number. Martha answered the phone. Gasp. (laughs) I asked if Bobby were home, and she told me he was on business in California. She asked who I was, so I told her I was a friend from high school days, expecting she would never give him the message. Three days later, while sitting in my office, I answered the phone to find that Bobby was on the other end of the line. After the usual greetings, he said, Before you say anything, I have three questions. One, 
are you going to tell me that someone died? Two, are you angry at me for something I did? And three, when did this thing happen? I was so stunned by these questions that I could hardly speak. Where was that coming from? It's as if he knew already what I was going to say. To make this even more like the Twilight Zone, he said, You know, I drove by your house last Friday afternoon, but didn't stop. He was driving by my house at the exact time I was uncovering our past life calamity. This is way beyond coincidence and definitely proves to me that this past life stuff is very real. Bobby was antsy to hear why I'd called, but after his battery of questions, I decided the revelation had to happen in person and told him so. Well, he said, I'll be back in California in a few weeks. We met at the same fateful watering hole where I'd first encountered the Israeli army cad. You can imagine how nervous I was to explain the tale of the poison potion. But, but I wanted to dissolve that bad karma. So what choice did I have? Sitting in a private booth face-to-face with a low-hanging light dangling over the table, I simply told the story my regression work had excavated. I fully anticipated a whole lot of pushback. On the contrary, Bobby was silent as he took it in. At some level, he believed the story. Then he went on to tell me that Martha was about to leave him since they couldn't conceive a child. We both knew that he wasn't sterile, so who could say where the problem lay? This wild story continues. A few months later, I went to the movies one evening, and in an attempt to take a seat in the dark theater, I accidentally sat on someone. After squealing, the woman looked at me and said, Oh, it's you, Michelle. (laughs) It was Bobby's first wife, Barbara. We used to run into each other from time to time, and when we did, we always shared Bobby gossip. She said, Do I have a tidbit for you? Martha is finally pregnant. I was dumbstruck and felt immediately that the process of forgiving him had prompted the universe to give them a child. Thank heavens, a big chunk of our karma had been resolved. I realize that many of you may view this all as unadulterated hogwash, but in my worldview, it makes perfect sense. Each of us is an extraordinary being of consciousness. We are eternal, and it takes many lifetimes for us to travel back to perfection. Life is, in fact, a journey to the center of ourselves. I also believe that the same cast of characters appears in various forms over and over during the course of our existence. Bobby had been my husband last time, and my boyfriend sometimes good and sometimes bad, this time. And who knows how we were related in other incarnations. The question becomes, why was he popping up in all these lifetimes? 
What were we supposed to learn from each other? Figuring such things out is the key to unlocking the why of each visit to the earth plane. It's not always easy to do, but worth the effort. As for our current spin on the dance floor of life, I suspect it has to do with learning to honor and respect one's beloved. During this period, when I was doing past life regressive work with Linda, we found a number of past lives other than the one when Bobby did me in. There was the time I was a maid in a French chateau having an affair with the son of the manor. We were in love, and I was very happy, even as a servant. Surprising. Another life, I was married to a German lumberjack. We lived in a cottage in the forest with our three children. I had red hair, and to this day, I love red hair because I subconsciously associate it with such a happy lifetime. Lastly, I discovered a dramatic life as the daughter of the chief in a Maasai tribe on the Serengeti. I had shared this dreadful life with an African fellow in this lifetime named Gus Mendy. He's a mortgage lender, originally from Namibia, and we have been close friends and business associates. As the princess in the past lifetime, I was impregnated by my father, the chief, and then banished to live alone in a cave due to the stigma of incest. Gus, in that life, was the only person who came to visit me in the cave. Eventually, I committed suicide out of disgrace. It is compelling to note that when I visited Africa in 1994, I knew exactly where the cave was as we passed by it while on safari. Freaky. Very freaky. But even more evidence that past lives are real. There is a fun postscript to this African past life story. When we arrived at the hotel on the Serengeti, I went to the gift shop and bought a kufi hat, the type worn by wise elders and family patriarchs. When I strode into the dining room wearing the cap, the maitre d' gasped, then bowed. He said I reminded him of a tribal queen. It's my guess he was reacting to the vibration of my Maasai story, the one I had just revisited that afternoon. I believe, by the way, that we carry forward from lifetime to lifetime parts of who we've been. To further punctuate the past life theme, here is another love bite. Another compelling piece of proof that we do reincarnate is a fear I had from my late teenage years until well into my 30s. I was terrified to drink any beverage that I had not opened myself. In college, for instance, I would never drink punch at a frat party, fearing that it had been spiked with something dangerous. Or I wouldn't drink a glass of wine offered unless I'd witnessed the bottle being opened. At the time, I had no idea how this phobia came about. But in retrospect, I'm convinced it derived from the time Bobby poisoned me with the midwife potion. Once I understood the source of that paranoia, thankfully it went away. Now we move on to the next chapter, which is called, What's It All About Alfie? 
To illustrate what I mean by finding the main message in any incarnation, please allow me to detour a little from our string of love capades. This story is about my younger brother, Victor, and it is ultimately about love. If one believes the core chore of any lifetime is to identify the central lesson we come here to learn, then my relationship with Vic offers the perfect illustration. A little less than two years younger, he was a talented but troubled soul. Vic was very smart, a gifted athlete, handsome, but in a word, lazy. I chuckle to this day, remembering the time he crawled back in bed in the midst of getting ready for school. My father lambasted him loudly, and his quick retort was, I'm taking a post-shower nap. (laughs) For some reason, Vic felt entitled. He thought he should be cared for without making any effort on his own. In fact, one of his fantasies was that he would marry a pineapple princess from Hawaii and that her largesse would mean he would never have to work. Such a peculiar pipe dream, which of course never came true. Even though my brother graduated from law school, he never could get his act together due to his intrinsic inertia. I used to say he had all the components of a Ferrari engine, but was missing the spark plugs. (laughs) His law school buddies wanted him to roller skate across the stage to pick up his diploma because he literally never went to class and had skated through three years of law school. He'd borrow someone's notes the night before an exam and get a better grade than most of those who'd attended class all year long. Vic and I never got along. We had different temperaments, personalities, and different views of the world. My glass is half full and his half empty. I did what I needed to do to excel, and he did just enough to keep from succeeding. To be honest, this drove me crazy, but it also made me very sad. I frequently pondered why he was the brother God had arranged for me. I must have asked myself that question a thousand times. Why did we react like oil and water? What was our karma? The answer finally came in a dramatic and tragic way. In his early 50s, with his life at a dire dead end, despite my many attempts to offer him a lifesaver, he went into a deadly diabetic coma, not knowing he had the disease. By the time he was discovered, there was no way to save his life. Vic had been living with my elderly father in Pebble Beach, but by this time my father had dementia, so was not aware that his son was dying in the bedroom at the other end of the house. A longtime friend named Barney Fox from Menlo Park days, who had been living in Carmel Valley, eventually found Vic in a comatose state. As soon as Barney called me to let me know, I threw things in an overnighter and raced the hundred miles southward to the hospital. On the way, I alerted our favorite cousin, Bill Harden, and his teenage son, Matt, both very close to Vic, and they drove in the middle of the night from the Napa area to meet me. Thank God for their support. While I sat in vigil by my brother's bedside, they picked up Dad and brought him to the intensive care unit at the Monterey Community Hospital. 
By this time, the doctor had explained to me that Vic was basically brain dead, that he, the doctor, had never seen a sugar level so high. I was left to make the anguishing decision to terminate life support. With my father on one side of the hospital bed and me on the other, the nurse pulled the plug. It was a horrific moment, which I will never forget. In the months that followed, I had to mop up the financial and other messes Vic had left in his wake. He'd been operating a small wholesale bakery in Pacific Grove, and it was heavily in debt. The mini truck he drove had been co-signed by my father, and that too was in arrears, leaving the debt for Dad to clear, which meant, of course, that I had to do it. I learned that Vic had stolen thousands of dollars from my father's retirement account through a clever ruse impersonating my father on the phone. The list goes on and on. I also had to make arrangements for my father's care, and that was not easy to do. I'd hired a local elder care service to look in on Muzzy twice a day, but he would beat them with his cane and send them packing. Even with his dementia, he was still an intimidating character. All of this together was overwhelming. A few weeks into the ordeal, I awoke and for the first time in my life, I didn't have the will to get out of bed. Suddenly, a lightning bolt of awareness hit me. This was pretty much what Vic had felt every day of his life. In that instant, I forgave him all of his trespasses and understood why he was my brother. I had just finished reading Carolyn Bass's seminal book, Sacred Contracts. In the book, she explains that just before we incarnate, we have a committee meeting with our angels to decide which lessons we choose to learn in that upcoming lifetime. The people who sign up to assist us in the hardest of those lessons, are the souls who love us the most. Victor had signed on to help me learn the wisdom of forgiveness. It may even be said that forgiveness is the highest, most beautiful form of love. Whatever friction and frustration we'd shared while Vic was alive evaporated in that moment and was replaced with gratitude. In a way, he'd sacrificed himself on the altar of my empowerment. I came to understand this was a truly profound expression of love. Love, as Alfie would say, is what it's all about. Thank you, Victor. I'd like to circle back before moving on to say a few words about Matt Harden, who had come with his father to support me the night that Vic had died. He is not only my cousin, but my godson. His parents had chosen me for the honor, in particular because I was connected to the church, but also having no children of my own would allow me time and wherewithal to fulfill the responsibilities of godmother. This has turned out to be one of the most auspicious and amazing connections of my lifetime, one that I firmly believe is arranged by whatever higher power you believe is running this show on earth. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time with my godson, who is now married with a family of his own, 
He is an extraordinary young man, accomplished in every facet of life, interpersonal relations, family life, business and entrepreneurship, knowing how to have fun, giving to others, in essence, living fully and making a difference in each life he touches. To sum it up, he's a star. Matt and I operate much the same way and are connected at a very deep level. I consider our relationship a great gift. After a recent visit up to the wine country where he lives, part of an email I sent him afterwards says this, quote, What is extraordinarily real about our relationship is that we read each other perfectly. I see you and you see me. That is actually very rare and why I feel so happy when we're together. It's a soul thing. Our link is powerful and life-affirming. And for me, at least, it checks all the relationship boxes simultaneously, like a universal love connection that could be parent-child, husband-wife, brother-sister, all rolled into one. For someone who has not had a long-term marriage or children this time around, our connection is very precious to me. I love you, Matt. Wow, Michelle, that was something else. I mean, very, very different than the upper episodes in ways because it's not literally a love capade, yet it's all about love. It's a it's a deeper, deeper look at love in a different way. Yeah, we're sort of suddenly getting into the more mystical part of my life, the more spiritual parts of my life. So you're right when you say it's not a classic love capade, but it's all about love. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, though, I think the therapist's name was Linda. When she offered to take you into, like, past life regression, I mean, what was your your thought? Is that <laughs> strange to you? Was it something <laughs> that you were believed in anyway? I mean, you know, what was going on there? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So when she first proposed it. You know, she said, this is a way of getting at what your life is about now. And she had been trained in how to do past life regressions and how to do hypnosis. And of course, I was a bit skeptical. Yeah, you were. (laughs) I thought, yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh. Sure thing. (laughs) But I trusted her and I allowed her to try it. And whammo. I mean, well, we uncovered the Bobby thing and how he killed me by accident. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, gee whiz. It it started to explain a lot about our roller coaster ride in this lifetime. But did she, did she suggest that it was going to be about Bobby or did Bobby come up during the regression or did you ask about Bobby or? No, she just was transgressing me. She didn't know what was going to pop up. She had no idea. So when you go into hypnosis and you go into a very deep state and she gives you these prompts and then this this information presented itself. And I I mean, we were both stunned. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then she actually led you to understand that what you needed to do was forgive him. So, and she told you that you had to do it verbally and not not in a letter, not in written form. And how did that make you feel? 
Well, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, my preferred mode would have been to write him a letter. But she said, no, that won't get you off the hook. That won't fix things. And so <laughs> she said, you have to tell him verbally. And so I went, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, first of all, he'd think I was a complete nut job. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that this story was totally preposterous. And, you know, and I had to tell him. And it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it almost made me wonder when you called. And, of course, his secretary wife answered the phone. And when you told her it was someone from high school, it made me wonder if a piece of you hoped maybe she wasn't going to tell him. And then it would have well, been off the no. <laughs> well, I, I, I was at that point, I wanted to clear the karma because I did believe in yes. karma. And I thought, well, I've gone this far. I found out the scoop. You better take advantage of this information. So, yeah, I, I really did want right. to speak to him. Yeah. So, but you were surprised when he called, right? Oh, I didn't think she'd tell him. I just didn't. Right. But a few days later, I'm sitting in my office and the phone rings. And there he was. And before I could say anything, he had those three unbelievable questions. So in, that just was further proof to me that this was the real deal. Well, when he, I remember the questions, are you going to tell me that someone died? Are you angry at me for something I did? And the question that hit me the most was the third one. When did this thing happen? I, I know. <laughs> so when he asked you those questions, what was going on in your head when well, he asked you that? No, I mean, I was flabbergasted. Tie those three up in a ball. And it was like he knew at some level what I was going to say because he had experienced it also. So when he asked those questions, I was dumbfounded. I went, oh, my God, to myself, oh, my God. And then he wanted, to, of course, to know why I had called. And, and I had made the decision. I couldn't do this over the phone. I had to do this in person. And <laughs> luckily, he was coming back. The other thing, Sally. So when he throws out there, you know, I was driving by your house last Friday afternoon. All right. Habba, habba. Yeah. That was when yeah, I was finding crazy. out about the past life. I mean, that's really crazy. Yeah. Did you tell him that, by the way? Did you acknowledge that with him? No. No. Well, not until I saw him later and explained the whole thing. Right. Because at this point, and, uh, you didn't really go through it till you were in person with him when he came back. Got it. Yeah. Right. right. What were you thinking inside as you're telling him this story? Were you nervous that he was going to again? <sighs> you were probably were very nervous about what his reaction was going to be. No. I was just. Totally, totally nervous. I mean, I thought, okay, here he's sitting across from me in this booth at the, at the famous watering hole. And I mean, I was going to have to tell him this crazy story. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's going to really think I'm off, off the rails here. So I just had to suck it up and do it. And he was silent as a church mouse. He just sat there, transfixed. His reaction, his reaction, it's like he really got it, Michelle. Yeah, he, he, he believed he, he me it. is the bottom line. And so part of the reason I think he believed me is because it happened. This was not something that my psyche made up because he also had it in his psyche. So what was the main point, though, between you at that time? Was it to forgive him and did you forgive him? Yes. Yes, at the point of going through that exercise of revelation with him was so I could clear the karmic debt. 
for him and for me and set it straight. And I believe that happened because the next thing we know, I get through the grapevine, the gossip grapevine by sitting on his first wife, Barbara, in the movie house (laughs) that, that Martha was now finally pregnant. Pregnant. Because he had said, she's leaving me. And because of all of that forgiveness, it cleared the karma. And so they had a child. Right, right, right. You know, you can't make this stuff up, Sally. I mean, well, yeah, well, I am not a skeptic, but I'm sure some of our listeners are. So I'm I'm not going to question the the reality of this. But what, what interests me is Later in the episode, you tell us a little bit more about your belief system around reincarnation, and maybe you can explain that a little bit better. Well, as you know, as my life unfolded, I had various stops along the way, along the train trip, you know, various stations where I stopped, and I learned more about the spiritual realm. And one of the very first ones we've already talked about the burning bush moment on the top of the mountain. Well, (laughs) fast forward, you know, I also studied Eastern religion, and I had come to the point where I really did believe there is such a thing as karma. And then I also came to believe in this reincarnation thing, largely because of these past life regressions. They were just too real. So, yeah, I mean, that's an evolution. I didn't start off believing this stuff. My understanding of the spiritual, mystical realm expanded as my life went on, put it that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, one of them that you described, I loved the one in Africa, where you actually took a trip to Africa and you had a sense exactly where the cave was that you you had been banished to in a previous life because of incest with your father. Oh, Oh, (laughs) can you believe it? I mean, talk. that's another one of those unbelievable excavations from the past life work I did was this horrid lifetime in Africa. I mean, I don't have to repeat the story. People just heard it. But I went on a Stanford trip to Africa on safari, which was totally astonishing, that trip. And when we got to the Serengeti Plain, which is where this horrible past life had taken place, I knew exactly where it was when we passed by that spot. But how did you know? I mean, you saw something and you said, oh my God, No, that no, it thing- was an inner knowing. I just knew. Right. You know, it's just like uh, my body vibrated. I, I I knew. Yeah. And then that carried out to, to when you bought the hat and you walked into the <laughs> restaurant in the dining room and, and someone else actually had a flash of you in a past life, it seemed to. <laughs> well, it was the maitre d' in the dining room who was seating right. all of us. Right. And it was like he'd seen... Queen Elizabeth walk in the room. I mean, yeah. he was he was just amazed. And so I knew that, that he was picking up the vibration that I was carrying with me. Yes. And then, Michelle, the story about your brother, Vic, that was so heartbreaking and touching. You were so different. He, he annoyed you, so it seemed, as you were growing up. But what a moment and heartbreaking moment that you had to be the one to choose to take his life away at the end. Well, I had to I had to make the decision to take him off life support, which was very I mean, he had he had made the choices, of course, to end his yes. life prematurely. He here he was he was brilliant. His IQ was off the charts. 
but he he just had a very miserable life and he he had this disease that he didn't tend to which took his life in the end and it was yeah but back to the karmic part with you and him though the the question i have is you tell the story that you learned one of the greatest lessons from him and the story that you told was about when you woke up one morning and you yourself could not get out of bed and you realized that that was how he experienced every day of his life. What I got a little confused by and I want to ask you about is when the lightning bolt came to you, oh, how was it that you then forgave him? Just explain that a little more. I was a little confused by it. Okay, let's see. So in the wake of his death, I was the one that had to set everything straight. And as I described, he had done some pretty dastardly, stupid things. And it was impacting my father. And, you know, and so I had to be the one to set things straight. It was really a lot of stuff. So after his tragic death and then confronting all these things that I was going to have to fix, I was just... One day I opened my eyes and I didn't want to get out of bed. And I'd never had that experience. And then I went, I realized, oh my gosh, this is how Vic felt probably most days of his life. Oh my gosh. And then in that moment, I had this transformative awareness that I could forgive him for all of that because I realized what his life had been like. And it was aided by the fact I just read this incredible book by Carolyn Mace, which is spelled M-Y-S-S. And one of her most famous books is called Sacred Contracts. And as I described, each of it, if you believe in reincarnation, which I do, that each time you're going to incarnate into the next lifetime, you have this committee meeting with your angels and you decide which lessons are the ones you're going to work on this in this upcoming lifetime. And the people who sign up to help you with the toughest of those lessons are the people who love you the most. And I realized that my brother, remember, because I really and truly used to say to myself all the time, why is he my brother? What, what's this about? <laughs> you know, he's just so different than I am. And then in that moment, I realized Victor had signed up for the toughest of all the lessons to teach me forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I was just flummoxed, flabbergasted, amazed. And I connected all the dots in that one extraordinary moment. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard for me to put words to it, but it is something about this episode where there's a transformation in you. Definitely. But something in you has shifted. It's like a character arc. We see the dots on the arc going up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, as I say, it's hard for me to put the words to the feeling, but the feeling's definitely there. And then the 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 story about, I mean, the love bite was funny in a way that you, you were scared to drink anything that was... Well, that was actually, Sally, it wasn't funny. For years, I had this phobia. Yeah. And wow. I, I didn't know where it came from. I thought, why am I doing this? This is, doesn't make any yeah. sense. And then I knew why. Because I I found out that that Bobby had 
done me in with a potion. And so I was afraid to drink anything where something could have been, a Mickey could have been slipped into it. But as part of the karmic resolution that when you realize something, it can go away. I mean, was your coming to terms with that? Why it didn't happen anymore? Yeah, exactly. I I understood why I was feeling that way. And that now I didn't have to feel that way anymore because I understood. Right, right. That's interesting. And then the lovely anecdote about your godson, Matt. It's such a love capade without being a love capade, you know? <laughs> it's true love. It's it's so, so, so lovely. And the fact that you didn't have children of your own, but he's a connection that is almost closer than some parents have to children, is what it felt like when you were reading it. Well, I love the fact that he is, well, first of all, he's family because his father is my first cousin. So I have the family connection. But what is even more profound for me is the role of godmother. And I have been that to him in ways that actually we will find out more about that later on. Oh, good. Good. I'm looking forward. And so he represents for me, as I defined, a universal love connection that could be a parent-child, husband-wife, brother-sister. It's like It's just an amazing kind of relationship. Sounds like you understand each other in a very deep way. Yes. So I have a question for you that I'm not sure you can answer, but I can't help but ask it, which is (laughs) through these regressions and especially about the characters that we've already met. As you enter new relationships in the episodes to come, was it with you? Do you ask, okay, what's my lesson here as you enter the relationship? And do I have memories? And did you do additional regressions around them? Or was it just around this? And then it kind of went away and you would lead your life without thinking much about this stuff. Moving forward in my life, I always believe every person that you come in touch with, in contact with, no matter whether it's for a short period or a long period, they have been in your life before. There are no new characters. And each encounter represents something. And depending on how long the relationship is, it can be quite profound. But I don't think there are any accidental meetings. And I always ask myself, what is this about? That's, I come from that perspective. And it also has to do with a lot of, you know, therapy I've had and, and psychology and understanding why people do what they do and how are they related to me and what can I learn from them and what can they learn from me and that's a lot about what this book is for. It's relating to people. Right, right. Anyway, very, very moving episode. And I, I really do look forward to to hearing the deepening spiritual Michelle as we move forward. Well, I think the pattern has become kind of clear from these episodes. You know, we'll have a very difficult one, a challenging one. In this case, it's a very profound one. And then we lighten things up in between because my life is like that. And so luckily the next episode is a lot more lighthearted, shall we say. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's all good. Anyway, this was an important episode for many reasons. And again, I think unusual in that most people don't have these kinds of experiences. So I I hope the listeners are led to think about it and think about their own lives in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then give us Linda's number. (laughs) Oh, my. All right. Well, thanks again, Sally. 
It's always such a pleasure. Such a pleasure this way, too. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by Studio Pod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.